This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 150 of the Dressage Radio Show, brought to you with the generous support of the New England Dressage Association. Chris Stafford, welcome to the program. On this week's episode, we're going to be catching up with Heather Blitz and hearing about what she's been doing down there this winter since we last uh, spoke to her a couple of months ago. But first of all, our sponsored training tip from the New England Dressage Association. Joining me now is Sarah Geeky from the New England Dressage Association. Hi, Sarah. Welcome to the show. Hi. How are you? Good. Nice to have you join us because I know you're aware of the Dressage Radio Show and you listen sometimes. So uh, good to have you joining us this week with the NIDA training tip segment. You, you have something that's unique up there. NIDA is often known as a pioneer and a leader in... Uh, the GMOs, the uh, General Membership Organizations of the U.S. Dressage Federation. So this is a really, really neat idea. Tell us about the Flex Time Program. Well, what the Flex Time Program is, it's a unique program that started in 2001, and it is a, it's a very simple program that essentially has um, been able to gain support from the New England professional trainers uh, in which the, the trainers have offered uh, and give, and what we do is we give one to three free lessons to any adult amateur or junior young rider uh, that is a member of of NIDA. And the young riders and adults pay a, a nominal fee. It's a reduced fee that they pay for this lesson with a top professional. And the in turn, they get a quality lesson that they might not have access to, uh, and the money that is generated for from this program goes towards needed towards other educational events. That is a really neat program. How did it all come about? It was started in 2001. It was the brainchild of the then clinic coordinator, Cindy Snowden, along with Amy Bretsky. And they thought that, uh, well, they knew that we had all these highly qualified instructors within New England, and to make it easier for people to have access to them, that they would bring the students to the instructors as compared to try and set up a big clinic and, and make it very complicated. They just made it as simple as possible. And it's, it's caught on like crazy. And you've been involved with NIDA for quite a while, haven't you, and participate in the program yourself? Yes, that is true. And so what does it involve then? How often do you get to participate in the program during, say, the course of a year? Well, what, what uh, applicants do is they submit an application to the NIDA coordinator. Uh, and for the last several years, this has been Nancy Marsh Terry, who's she's really helped to grow the program enormously. So they submit their applications to her, and it's, it's, it's basically a short critique of their writing. Uh, and they also include uh, what instructor or instructors they would like to ride with and have their lesson with. 
and then uh, it is reviewed and acted upon, and to my knowledge, uh, everybody that applies is able to be um, put with a, a professional that they can have a lesson. Right, so it, it's really whenever people need it, then you coordinate it to, to meet the trainer's schedule. It's pretty much. It's done once a year. Uh, Nancy uh, sends a letter out to all of the instructors in the fall to, to find out who wants to participate again for the next year. Uh, and then the next thing is that the applicants uh, go, are sent in to uh, Nancy in in. Oh, in the winter time, and then they're chosen, and then they are given their instructor that they're going to ride with, and the, the lessons really take place from about April to October. I guess that's to fall in with the weather up there in New England, isn't it? In with the seasons. Yes, right. and so many, so many professionals um, in New England go to Florida for the season too. Right. Terrific. Well, that's a great program, and you can find out more about it, I guess, on the NIDA website. Yes. Tell, yes. tell everybody where they need to go, Sarah. Um, it's www.neda.org. Terrific. That's the New England Dressage Association. I want to thank you so much, Sarah, for joining us this week and sharing that program with us. Okay. Well, thank you. Well, joining me now from Wellington is Heather Blitz. Heather, welcome back to the show. Thank you, Chris. It's great to be back again. Well, it is. Last time I saw you, we were recording the show live and in person. That was quite different, wasn't it? Yeah, that was a blast. It was fun having you down here that week. You should make that happen more often. Yeah, really, I, I will. I, I, I promise I will. Um, because you really have everything going on there in Wellington with the Global Dressage Festival. That has launched big time, hasn't it? It's, it's just been really the, the hub of dressage now in this country for the winter. Well, it is the hub now, and it's, it's becoming more so every day, and it just seems like everyone's getting so excited about it. And I think anybody pretty much who competes there even once is walking away with, um, you know, that kind of assessment. It's just a great it's a great place for competitors, and I think also a great place for spectators. It's just so sophisticated feeling, and it's, um, it, just, it looks really sharp. There's lots of vendors. There's easy parking. Like, everything is really close. Um, it's just it's a neat feeling being there, especially as a competitor. Yeah, and the stay everything's very convenient to you, and I should say also just what two blocks from your barn anyway, so it is pretty handy, isn't it? Oh, that's so wonderful! <laughs> uh, you know, really getting spoiled. They can do I don't know how many CDIs they have now here in the season down here in Wellington. It's probably I think it's one every weekend, um, and every one of them you can sleep in your own bed that's like that's that's pretty special and i don't know if any other place in the world that's, that's like that there's so much going on and it's really fun to be near all the jumpers and the polo as well so you don't have to just stay with your own sport you can go have fun at the big um you know multi-hundred thousand dollar jump off on saturday nights under the lights and that's just huge entertainment for whether you're a horse person or not they have a lot going on there and it's just such a such a neat place down here in Wellington. It's really magical. It's getting bigger and bigger. And you talked about being under the lights for the jumpers. Well, you're under the lights now for those evening programs, and you've done the freestyle now, what, twice in the lights? I have. At the new Global Dressage Festival, they have 
a nice um, setup for the Grand Prix Freestyle. They have those now on uh, in the evenings. They start with it's with the lights on, and it's even a more special atmosphere. And I think the I know my horse likes it a whole lot because he's not a big fan of the sun. He and I are very similar in that way. <laughs> we don't uh, last in the in the sun rays intense sun rays for very long. So um, he especially likes competing two times, one in the three-star, and then this uh, past weekend in the five-star, we did the freestyle both times under the lights, and um, it was it was it just feels nicer to be able to put your coat on and not be baking and come out so hot and sweaty. Um, so it's, it's a nice atmosphere, and um, I think the crowd enjoys also being able to sit in more comfort and watch, and it's just a, it's a, neat, a neat thing to do. I know people are thinking, well, she doesn't like the heat and she lives in Wellington. How do you cope with it then? (laughs) Don't ask me. I just try not to think about it. I just try to get through each day. But um, we do ride when the sun's not, you know, at its height and um, in the morning and in the afternoons when it's a little going down again. And that's the best way we can cope. And then, um, you know, if it gets too bad still, then we try to trailer over to facilities that do have covered rings and that makes it a lot better. Yeah. Now, those performances that were under lights in the evening then, is is the venue already generating a crowd, Heather? Do you think you attract some people over from the Winter Equestrian Festival, from the other disciplines, or is it, do you feel, just a, a dedicated dressage audience that's coming along there on a Saturday night for the performance? No, actually, I, I know it's attracting people um, outside of the dressage world and even outside of the equestrian world. Um, my massage therapist in particular uh, doesn't have anything to do with horses, and I was telling her about the competition, and she gathered up like 10 people and brought them over and just thought, and then she called me afterwards, and she said that was one of the more fun things they've done in a long time. So they're not even equestrian people in any sport. Um, but they said they're hooked and they want to come and watch that. And they were going to the jumping the next night. So, um, it is fun thing for, for, you know, spectators of all, from all places. And I know also that the first night they had the freestyle under the lights, there was a big jumper contingent there coming to watch. And the whole German jumper team came over, um, from, I know it particularly, I know, and I'm sure there were many more, and it's um, they are scheduling it so that the freestyle is on Friday night, and then the jumpers are on Saturday night. So they they don't want those two to conflict, and that's a really smart thing because it's fun to do both for sure. Yeah, that's a great idea because it really is generating an international cast of spectators, isn't it? Uh, sorry, of competitors, I should say, for those global dressage festival competitions now because so many foreign riders are based down there for the winter, aren't they? Well, they are, and I think um, next season we're going to see even more. I think the, the um, Europeans that have come this season are are definitely going back to their homes with, uh, you know, spreading a good word for us. And um, I really expect to see quite a few more uh, come from Europe for longer term uh, being here in the beautiful atmosphere and beautiful weather, escaping some of the European dreariness in the winter. And um, it's just, I think it's going to be quite quite different next year. And that's really exciting for me as an American competitor, because you used to definitely have to go to Europe to compete against horses of that caliber. And the more of them come over here, it kind of saves us from so being, you know, being so necessary to have to go to Europe to compete against horses like that. So if they come to us, then even better. <laughs> Yeah, well, definitely because you need that kind of exposure to the European competitors and to the European judges. 
Yeah, we, I mean, we've had European judges. You know, we get the foreign judges and we have every year. You know, it's required and we see them and, and they're doing a good job on getting the judges. But it really is, you know, having a start list with European horses on it that really makes you think bump your game up a bit. Because, I mean, not that there aren't fantastic horses to compete against here in this country, but, you know, the more you bring from Europe too. Um, there's just more of them, and you have to bump up your game to, you know, even more to match the skills what's coming over from Europe. Well, we should also mention there's the attractive purses too. The prize money at the GDF is is really really attractive, isn't it? Oh yeah, of course. <laughs> I mean, we we hardly ever get any prize money to speak of in our sport, and this series is coming up with quite a bit and some good sponsors. And we all are very thankful for that. That's um, nothing but really good for the sport. So that's very exciting. Well, I've talked about this on the show before, Heather, about the facilities down there, that it really has everything for the dressage rider at all levels. Well, now that they've really got going and hosting these shows every week, they've got more established now. How many arenas uh, have been running simultaneously? Well, they have three show rings that uh, are going all at once. And during the week, they also have shows, which I think is kind of neat. They have Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday shows. And those are a great experience, you know, much less kind of atmosphere and stress for horses that are greener or riders that are greener to go over there and still go through the whole routine. Mm -hmm. They have the two national rings going on those days. And then on the weekends, of course, the international ring is going too. So... Yeah, they have um, three competition rings and quite a bit of warm-up for them all and um, two permanent barns of really nice stabling. I mean, very nice stabling. And they even have the, you know, not only do the, are the stables with rubber mats on the floor, but it's the quite cushiony rubber mats that are um, better quality and nicer for the horses to stand on. And I mean, they really put quite a bit of quality into the construction and um, I mean, I could I could imagine having horses in those stables all season long. They're really super nice, very good construction, and very safe. Well, not only have the American riders been using it uh, as preparation for their selection processes for the Olympic Games, but also for the World Cup lead up um, for many riders too. Where will this fit in your program? Here, they're talking about. I mean, the Global Dressage Festival competitions that you've done and as part of your campaign leading up to the selection trials? Well, I have done three shows at the Global Dressage Festival, and I've done one out at Equestrian Estates in Lakshahachi, um, that was the Palm Beach Derby. And I also did one over at the Jim Brennan Equestrian Center, and that was the um, Wellington uh, Classic, and that also was the master's five star on the same weekend so between all of those shows uh, my scores that i have declared to count towards my uh olympic trials uh selection um have that's those are the shows i've used to get my scores to qualify for the trials so what i am done showing as far as qualifying anything or doing any shows until the trials. so um i have a little bit of relief for a couple of months now to go back into a bit of a training mindset and take some of the competition pressure off of pairing on me and just um go back in peel a few more layers off what we need to do and make it a little bit more a little bit more like normal life for a, a little while well remind everybody how young he is still 
having got as far as he has in this process, uh, in the, moving up from the small tour, he's he's still a young horse, isn't he? Yeah, he's a very young horse, and for being as, as as I think as big as he is, maybe it takes a little longer for the big ones to mature. But he just turned nine, and he started, you know, a few small Grand Prix, just in small shows. Um, actually, when like December. Uh, November last year or so um, just to kind of see what it was like and where the weaknesses were and what we've got to do and um, yeah but he's just nine now so he's mentally quite mature um, physically still has of course um, some maturing to do he's just a huge horse that um, is, is you know, working super well but it just it does take really a lot of time to put that to put enough strength on that big of a horse to carry off all the collection and all the work he has to do. But he's just, you know, he's just such a willing guy. And he, he tries his hardest every day that I ride him. And I just can't get over how generous he is. And um, I, I make sure that he has plenty of time to rest and be happy. And, um, you know, but, you know, combine that with enough work to keep him building and, and you know, to keep getting stronger and stronger. But, he he loves his work, and he has just hasn't told me at all yet that he doesn't want to do it. But I still really take a lot of care with him that I don't over push him. I don't train that long every day. I don't even train. I don't even train six days a week. And I do a lot of hacking. I do a lot of stuff to keep him happy, and and just because I, I want to preserve his, his wonderful temperament and his body and his legs, and just to make sure that. You know, we're going for the team, and, and that's exciting, but he's such a young horse that he's got so much ahead of him also. So I have to con- I have to consider as much about his, you know, the many years beyond London for him uh, as much as I do consider the team this year. So that's a lot to keep in mind. And he goes to the gym too, doesn't he? He does. He walks on his treadmill. <laughs> and um, I like that because it's another way to get him out and to do something without any uh, mental strain. Like there's no training mental mentally in that. So he doesn't get burnt out on things. And it's a nice stretch for the afternoon or sometimes he works a little bit more of an incline. So he gets some hill work since we don't have any hills here in Florida. Um, so it's a really great addition. I think he's doing great with the treadmill, and it's helped a lot to build some strength, too, behind. How about you? Do you go on it? <laughs> I have, just for <laughs> fun. <laughs> no, you know, my schedule now that some of my seasonal clients have gone home um, is going to maybe be a little lighter, give me a little room for doing things like signing up for that gym membership. <laughs> <laughs> I need to do it, and I, I do have more time now. But um, you just can't fit it all in sometimes, and you got to do what you got to do. Yeah, you really, you really do. So you're going to have um, going to have a vacation now before the selection trials, or is it just an easier time? Just an easier daily routine. You know, I won't be doing from sun up to sundown. Um, you know, I, my days will just end a little sooner. And actually, they, my days have to have quite a big break in the middle because of the heat starting to come on. I know it's only beginning of April, but we're already in the 90s. And the, when the sun is direct, it's very, it's a little dangerous, you know. So mm. we don't we don't exercise a whole lot between 11 and about 5. So there's a lot of time there where I can go inside and catch up on a lot of stuff that I can't normally do. Right, into the office. But... You know, we always talk talk about 
Paragon because he is the superstar. But there, you have some other hidden treasures in your barn. And one of those you did actually start showing this time, a nice young stallion. Tell us about Ripline. Well, Ripline, yeah, he's my newest addition uh, in my training program here. And he was bred by Oak Hill Ranch in Folsom, Louisiana, the same breeders that bred Paragon. He is by Hotline, and his mother is by Blue Horse Kevin, and his dam sire, uh, or his dam's dam sire is Rambo. So there's a little blood that I recognize in there. I don't know much about Hotline, but what I know so far from from Ripline, I really love. He's um, just a very well uh, put together, very very nice confirmation, very beautiful stallion. And he is already approved by Danish Hornblood, Although we're going to wait a little on breeding him just so he has a chance to really focus on his training. He's so young and so sweet and um, so focused on work already that just going to give him a chance to do that for a while before he starts having two jobs. But um, very, very excited about him in the future. I did, I did take him out for his first competition over at Global Dressage Festival, and he was great. Um, he stayed quite sweet and obedient and focused as much as any four-year-old stallion would. Uh, didn't make a peep. He noticed all the horses around him, but he thought it was great, and he was comfortable and quiet in his stall. I just think he did really, really well. And, you know, that was our maiden voyage, so I think it was a good sign that it's going to be fine in the future, too. And how long have like, you been riding him now? I just since December. Mm-hmm. And he was started in Louisiana by a great trainer uh, named Bruce Egglefield, and I really think he did a super job with him and gave him just a, a whole lot of information as a young colt and got him out a lot in the uh, hundreds of acres they have in the property there, which is super for his brain and, um, you know, got him quite well started under saddle and a lot of a lot of good miles put on him. So when I got him here in Florida in December, he was just ready to go, and I didn't really know what I would get. I hadn't ridden him before, but um, I've just been super, super pleased with him since the first day. So I'm really excited about getting him out, and I'm going to see about maybe campaigning him towards the four-year-old, the North American four-year-old championships, and just get his kind of his show career going and I think he's the kind of horse that will be able to compete quite well at each level where you know some horses in the beginning may need a little more training before they can come out I think he can come out at training at first level at second level and I think he'll make a very nice kind of normal progression up the levels which is really really nice to know how big is he he is 16-2 now and but if you believe in that string test where you can measure their leg and mm-hmm. measure their from their elbow to the wither, uh, he's going to grow about three more inches. So that would make him just 17 hands, maybe a little bit higher when he's finished growing. And you're 18 hands, aren't you? Uh, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> but if he doesn't make the size that Paragon does, that's fine. He's going to make up for it in beauty and presence and power and uh, and just sweetness. He just, I wish I could cuddle with him here in my living room. He's so sweet. Oh, oh. And so what would you look for in a young horse at that age? He's, what, four years old? Coming five? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What would you be looking for then in at his stage of training? I mean, I know that's a general 
question, Heather, but I think, you know, our listeners would be interested to know, you know, what you would consider to be talent at that stage at so early in his life. Well, what impresses me the most about him, I guess, number one is his sense of body awareness. He tends to just, he knows where his hind end is. He knows where his torso is. He knows where his front end is. He, he just has a good, a very good sense of body awareness to start with. And, and that's also, you know, a matter of he's really in balance. Um, you know, he, this sounds simple, but he goes very easily. If I ask him to go, he just says, okay. And if he's going, no matter how fast or slow, and I ask him to come back or to stop, he absolutely doesn't argue, doesn't delay, doesn't have a hard time. He just says, okay, and he stops. And that sounds really simple, but, you know, not all youngsters are that easy because of strength or just immaturity or they can't focus or whatever. He's just, he just like a turnkey kind of get on and go and everything works kind of guy. Um, you know, the first time I asked him to leg yield, it's like I didn't even have to give him any instructions. Somehow he just had a already programmed to just know what that meant. And, you know, it was in trot and he just leg yield, did the leg yield with no real advanced, you know, knowledge of it. So he's got a, just a very natural sense of communicating with the, with me and responding to the aids. And I think because he stays in such a, such a good balance between back, front, left and right, it's easy for him. And I also like that with him, he has, if, if you, you know, at Liberty, you can chase him around the arena or whatever, and you can see the talent he has in his gates. And it's very uh, rhythmic, very uphill. He's got a lot of power in his body and he can really show, show himself off, you know, very, very well. And that's why, you know, he's already been approved because he has such talent. Under saddle, he keeps it on a very normal, rideable level, and he's not trying to do things with all of his talent that he hasn't been told to do yet. And some horses that have a lot of talent, they start throwing it at you when you don't even act, you know, you don't try to get it from them yet. And that just makes training more complicated. And I think it makes it more stressful for horses that when they don't know any better and they just start pulling stuff out of their sleeve and, you know, doing things that they really don't have the experience to do. Um, you know, I've got another one in the barn that does that and it's exciting that he has the talent, but it's not so exciting when he starts massaging and knows nothing about what to do and it stresses him. And then it's hard to just get him back on a normal level because he's gotten, he's tapped into his talent too soon. So what I like about this little stallion is he, he only does what I ask him and he does it with no delay, but he, and he can do more if I asked him, I know he would. But it's just nice to be able to regulate the expression and the the extra gears, um, you know, to keep that to keep that quiet until they want it. So I like that also in any young horse that they don't just start doing things just because they can. They need to start doing things because you ask them to. And I definitely like that because I've had plenty of the other ones, and it's trickier. Mm, and they try and second guess you. I, you know, I, I, um, is that what you're saying? And that they just try and show off more than they realize they're not even capable of yet. Yeah, or if they show off too much and you try to tell them, whoa, that's enough, and just kind of ground them back, you know, take mm-hmm. a little control and just show them how to make it okay, you know, that they don't get too high off the ground or they, they don't get too far, you know, off the aids or whatever so that you can't help them. And, um, I don't think that, you know, horses that, that do come up with more expression than they should, I don't know if they're necessarily being negative about it, but 
it just, they just can kind of, you know, it just boils out of them. Like <laughs> they're so energetic or, um, you know, just excited, whatever it just happens. But then sometimes it's hard to, you know, control that for their benefit. You'd like to control them so that they don't get too carried away. Um, and it's nice to have a horse that, um, you know, just stays reasonable about the information that I give them you know, with my feet or my legs or my reins that they, I can always bring this one in particular kind of back into a nice, normal, rideable, um, easy place. So, and that way I can keep him very confident about what he's, what he's able to do and only, you know, only ask him to do what I think he's, you know, he's close enough to be able to do really well. And some more jump, they want to jump like 10 steps and do something that they shouldn't do yet. Yeah. Yeah. And um, with him, I can just have him do like the next thing that he should be able to do and not, you know, not 10 steps more than what he's got the experience for. So how long would you typically work him in a day? And it presumably, but five, six days a week, you'd do some groundwork with him? Yeah, you know, at his age, well, he's a he's a stallion and he does get turned out and he likes that. But, you know, maybe just to keep him a little more, you know, keep him from getting bored or you know, not interested enough. I, I think five days a week is good for him. Um, some four-year-olds are fine with maybe four days a week, especially if they're really growthy. I don't like to overtrain them. Uh, I do groundwork with him, though, and, and that's pretty fun. I take him in the round pen, and I, uh, I've i introduced him a little bit to have steps on the ground, which he's very, very easily accepted and very smart. Um, so I do a little bit of that and keep him interested with groundwork. Um, so in the future, then when I'm on his back and I want to ask a little bit for that, he'll already have some groundwork from, for it. Um, and we hack out. So he's got a good enough brain that I can take him even by himself out um, as far away from the my property as I want to. And that's great for his brain, and he, he he likes that quite a lot. He stays relaxed and very happy out, so I make sure that that's a big part of his program, and he also goes on the treadmill. He goes to the gym too. So he's not at all cultish then. It sounds like he's very, you know, uncultish in his attitude to life, maybe because he hasn't had a girlfriend yet. <laughs> well, he knows what the girls are. <laughs> you, you can tell he's a cult for sure. I mean, he, he's he's definitely handsome and he knows it, but he's so he's so well behaved that, you know, he may nicker and he may look at horses more than other, you know, more than a gelding or a mare would look at other horses. But I don't hold that against him. He's allowed to look, but he stays very well behaved. And, um, you know, as, as, as far as most cults go that I've had experience with. He's in the very much in the top two percent of well behaved. Wow. So, yeah. what, what's the plans for him now? Then, as you get into the summer season. Well, like I said, I've I've done one show, and I'll just um, pick out another show or two for him, and just uh, look into the four year old championships and find out what's required there and when the you know the dates. I haven't really looked into it yet, but um, depending on how my fall goes um, with Paragon and you know my schedule and when the schedule is for something like four-year-old championships with Ripline I will decide maybe we do that and if not then he'll just train for the rest of this year and I'll get him really ready for next year's uh, season down here in Wellington. Right so that is Ripline by Hotline. Now going back to uh, the main chance of course Paragon 
and you'd mentioned the selection trials now, you have a bit of a quiet period leading up to June. Then what does that schedule look like for you? The selection trials, we should point out, are in Gladstone, New Jersey, here in the States, and everyone who has a hope of making that team has to compete there, don't they, over two weekends? Well, the top 15 that have put in an application um, of intent to qualify, the top 15 in the nation will be invited to Gladstone, and um, if any of those don't want to go, then they move down the list to 16, 17, 18, and so on. But then those that uh, accept the invitation will compete and uh, in the Grand Prix and the Grand Prix Special two weekends back-to-back, so June 8th, 9th, something like that, and then the next weekend, too. And then the out of those four tests, each test is 25% of your average, and then the top from those from those competitions will be will that it, that will be the final decision on who competes in London. Right, right. And just remind everybody how many they take and how many compete now because the rules have changed. All right, the, we you know America did qualify to have a team competition, so um, the team will be three horse and rider combinations, and then uh, there, there will be an alternate. But we did not qualify to take an individual, which is unfortunate. But um, that was determined by uh, how many riders that nation had on the world world sorry world ranking list in uh, the top thirty on the world ranking list, and we did not qualify. We did not have enough riders uh, that met that criteria. So um, because of that, we don't get an individual. Some countries, and I don't even know which ones they are. It's probably Germany, Holland, and England, maybe. Mm-hmm. England's that pretty good. I, you know, yeah, I don't like to rub good. it in, you know, too much, Heather. But you know, my my they're, they're, they're my old okay. country is not doing too badly at this game now, are they? Yeah, it's pretty cool. So we'll have three then competing uh, for the U.S. Okay. Well, great. Well, we'll be following those trials. Uh, they take place over two weekends in June. Um, we'll be bringing you, obviously, the results of that and who does make it to the London Olympic Games. What other? Um, I know you're going to have a little bit of an easy time now, so maybe we can catch up with you before you go to Gladstone for that. Do you think you might have time to uh, come and join us again on the Dressage Radio Show? I will give it my best. You know me. If I have free time, I fill it up. But I will do my best to leave some time to do this again. <laughs> All right. Well, your audience enjoys you. So, I mean, you have, you know, you've got a big audience there. And they want to know what's happening with Paragon, too. They like little updates about him. So we have to include updates on Ripline now that we've introduced him. Yes. Well, I will be glad to give you updates on him. I'm sure it's all going to be good. Well, did I mention that I'm going to go to the Olympic Games? No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah, I haven't been selected, you know, like most people get to be selected to go to the games. You know, I'm I'm just going as a regular journalist, covering the games for the Horse Radio Network. Well, that's going to be exciting for you. Well, yes, I get to go to London again. I know my way around there a little bit and around Greenwich. So, you know, it'll be nice to go to the old haunts, you know, and have fish and chips, things that are really important, you know. And, and warm beer. Oh, no, I don't... <laughs> It's <laughs> the warm beer. <laughs> and warm beer. Don't they drink warm beer over there? Uh, I wouldn't know because I don't drink beer. Oh. Uh, so well, that's what I've heard, and I think that's a little bit weird. Well, you would, wouldn't you? But, you know, what is even more weird, I find, over in England, and I'll offend my friends as I say this, but, you know, if you ask for a drink over there with ice, 
They'll almost give it to you like you're, they're serving you sugar, like one lump or two, one lump or two. Have you have you noticed that? Well, I noticed that also in Denmark. They only give you got like two ice cubes, as if there's a shortage. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Their freezers are very, very small. Yeah, they're very tiny. You know, you have <laughs> one lump or two. And you know, as an American, that must drive you crazy, really, because you, you know you're just used to shoveling the ice in. Yeah, well, first you fill your glass with ice, and then you put in the liquid. Right. Well, I thought that was just a, the bars, bartender's way of making money because, you know, they fill it up with ice. There's not much room left for the drink, right? Well, that's true. Maybe that just kind of caught on, and now it's the way it is. But, Or maybe it's the heat. Maybe it's because it's so hot here. I think that's it. That could be, could be it because it doesn't get too hot in either Denmark or England, does it? No, not at all. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to catching up with you know, a few friends and, uh, and and also eating some of my favorite things over there. Apart from fish and chips, I, I better only do that once because, you know, that just goes straight to the waste. Right. What, is that? what else do we have? Bangers and mash? Yes, I love those English breakfasts, I have to say. I will treat myself to a few English breakfasts, bangers, and, you know, the full English breakfast. You know what that looks like. Well, a little bit. I know it's I know it's baked beans, which is just kind of strange to me. I mean, I like baked beans, and I eat it when I'm over there, but isn't that one of the main things? That's bangers. No, it's the bangers, the eggs. You know, if you have a full English breakfast, it's going to have uh, the, the sausage, eggs, mushrooms, tomatoes, bacon, of course. Um, and the bacon, I do miss the bacon. That That is different over there. It's, it's leaner uh-huh. and, yeah. So, gosh, this is making my wealth water, and it's getting close to dinner time, Heather. I think we've got to sign off here, you know. <laughs> You're making me hungry, too. I'm going to have to go shortly. <laughs> All right. Well, me too. Well, Heather, thank you very much for, for joining me again this week. Nice to hear and oh. catch up from you, with you. That's nice, nice of you to have me back. Well, that's it from us. Uh, Don't forget you can check out all our show notes at dressageradio.com and you can leave your comments, questions and suggestions for the show over on our Facebook fan page. I will be back at the same time, same place next week. So until then, thank you all for listening. (laughs) 